Hello and welcome to the Mind the Gap and Disability Arts online podcast, Disability And, bringing together thoughtful discussion and debate. This month, Mind the Gap's assistant producer, Paul Wilkshaw, chats with executive director, Julia Skelton, about the company and its achievements. Hello, Julia, and welcome to the first Mind the Gap and Disability Arts Online podcast. Hello, Paul. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. So, Julia, your job at Mind the Gap is the executive director of the company. Can you please tell us a bit about that? So, essentially, my job as executive director is to um, kind of make sure the company's on track and that we're going in the direction that we planned and said we were going to go in. Um, Quite a lot of my work is around making relationships, building partnerships, raising money. Um, And I also spend quite a lot of time working across the whole of the team, just making sure we've got the right people to do the job of work that we are currently involved in. Um, We do quite a diverse range of work. So um, as well as our core team, we employ a lot of freelancers. We do collaborations with other organisations. So it's kind of the um, a bit like trying to always have my hand on the um, tiller of the boat that is Mind the Gap uh, and make sure we're heading in the right direction. Okay, thank you. So, um, for people that don't know you, how did you start in the um, the crazy world of creative theatre? <laughs> well, I've always, always been interested in the arts, particularly the performing arts. When I was very young, I wanted to be a performer. But uh, I don't think that journey was ever totally realistic for me. So um, when I was in my teens, I was kind of really interested in media and communications and journalism. And I was kind of wanting to head in that direction. But through the course of study and different opportunities, I kind of ended up a little bit by chance sort of working in a um, publicity part of a department in a theatre in Buxton Opera House in Derbyshire Um, and I was initially working on press and PR and working on a particular project there and I kind of just really liked the theatre environment and the constantly changing environment of you know different people and different shows and different um, performers and just became really really interested and committed quite quickly to wanting to pursue a career in the arts um, and so I kind of went through publicity and marketing initially immediately before I joined Mind the Gap I was um, marketing manager at Harrogate Theatre uh, in the 90s um, trying to think what year it was um, when um, it was still a repertory company and I really loved being part, again, of that team that was about making work and putting work on, on stage and things. And when I saw the job, the job advertised at Mind the Gap, I just thought, oh, that's interesting. Um, I didn't know the company. I wasn't aware of the company's work, particularly at that stage. It was still a relatively small company at that stage. Um, and that looks like an opportunity to kind of really get more involved in the decisions about what gets made and how it gets made. I've always been interested, as well as the arts, I've always been interested in social change and social justice. And so I was drawn to the company by the work that it was doing to create equality of opportunity for Um, artists with a learning disability so it was a sort of kind of straightforward journey um, with a few little tiny kind of 
twists on the way. Gillian, you joined the company in 1997. What was the first project you worked on? When I started, the company was still very small. So um, Tim Wheeler was artistic director and there were a number of part-time staff supporting it. And I came in as administrative director at that point. So the first project that I worked on was to create an application to uh, a national lottery programme called Arts for Everyone. And um, the National Lottery had just launched then. I think that was one of its first public programmes. So it was all new to us. And the company had already got an idea that we wanted to create a training programme that gave learning disabled artists all the skills that they needed in order to set up and run their own company. Um, and that programme, as, it, as it, we evolved, the, the project idea was, was making waves. So the first three weeks of my sort of baptism by fire induction into Mind the Gap was essentially to write that application and speak to everybody, speak to Tim, speak to the board, speak to the artists who were involved with the company at that point and put together um, a proposal. And fortunately, it was successful. So when I kind of obviously it takes a while for funding decisions to come through and we were currently working on a number of other sort of projects at that time but my my sort of opening memory as it were of starting work with Mind the Gap was very much that launch of that program that that was a very much a I think a key moment in the company's development in terms of really consolidating the brilliant work that had already happened in its first sort of nine or ten years of um, existence. Um, But it kind of laid the foundations for us to really look at how we as a company work in quite individualised as well as team ways with learning disabled artists so that people can develop the skills and equip themselves with all the knowledge and experience that they need in order to be successful practicing artists. Yeah and that's a prime example I mean for me uh, my first time of coming to mind the gap was in 2011 for a scheme called Ammonite and I um, because I was based down in Dorset I came up to find about more about Mind the Gap as a company uh, because I was interested in producing, but I'm also an actor. So for me, it was a really interesting time in my career. You've had nearly over 30 years now with the company. Not, not quite that many. Tw- no, 20, <laughs> 25. 25, okay. <laughs> Sorry for that. <laughs> but you've had so many experiences with this company. I really want to know, what show has stood out for you the most in your time? I'm, I had a feeling you were going to ask me this question and I have been trying to whittle it down to one, but I can't. Um, I think reflecting on that question, there are a number of moments in time in the company's history which feel like kind of really key moments, really kind of key markers. So I'm um, making waves, the launch of the first training programme. And it was a training programme, but it was kind of a real kind of professional development training programme. So the launch of that was a very memorable moment and it also coincided with me starting with the company. One of the first key productions I think that was a real turning point for the company was the original adaptation that we did of Of Mice and Men, the John Steinbeck classic, um, which was born out of 
Tim Wheeler, the then artistic director, uh, kind of identifying the seeds in that piece of work that were really resonant with the work and the aims and objectives of, of the company. Um, and working with writer Mike Kenny to develop a really original, fresh adaptation of that. Other kind of transition moments for me, again, this is not a performance project, but the capital project, um, which kind of consumed in one way or another about seven years of my life um, between 2001 and the original idea and 2008 when we actually moved into Lister Mills in Bradford, our current home. That was a massive undertaking to take just a shell of a building and create a real custom designed space that every single decision that was made was made with learning disability artists and people's access in mind. So that again is something that will will always be with me. And then most recently I think our Daughters of Fortune project which was involved multiple different elements to it from a a small-scale forum theatre show through to the large-scale Zara outdoor production. Um, That, for me, is a real achievement. It's very much a team achievement. But taking a a kind of a seed of an idea and supersizing it into a large-scale public performance and and taking a very unknown and not not very talked-about subject of um, learning disability and parenthood Uh, and the experience of people who are parents, who aspire to be parents, um, the challenges and opportunities that exist around um, that. I think it was a really deep project that delivered a lot and I think it was a project that really we set out with a very clear vision of what we wanted to achieve and I think we achieved everything that we set out to. I appreciate that's a bit of a long and not very precise answer to the question but they're the things that really stand out for me. I totally agree with you about the um, Of Mice and Men. I came and saw it in the last time that Mind the Gap done that production with Rob Ewins and Jess Corborn and Jessica, I think it's Jess. Buxton, fabulous actress. And it was so powerful. And there's so many great um, projects that the company have done. I was very fortunate to be part of the Daughters of Fortune as the intern assistant producer at uh, for the Sarah project, which has then led me on to being the assistant producer at Mind the Gap. And it's so important, those internships, about where the opportunities are now for people with learning disabilities in the industry to get these internships, to get the opportunities to work outside of um, the companies that they're at, um, and also working with theatre companies that are also in the mainstream. As well as being a touring theatre company, Mind the Gap also runs professional training. Before becoming the assistant producer at Mind the Gap, I was on the Performance Academy course. In 2021, Mind the Gap joined forces with York St John's to create a level four accredited course for students with learning disabilities and autism. Julia, can you tell us more about the course and how the partnership came together? Yes, so um, it certainly 
hasn't come from nowhere. Um, I mean, we've been building the partnership with York St John University for um, at least five years, possibly even longer. Um, And it's been built up through a kind of mutual interest in wanting to see social change, wanting to see progression and advancement for people with a learning disability within the wider arts sector and also in education. I mean, in an ideal world, Mind the Gap wouldn't be doing training and development work in the way that we do. But the mainstream sector is still so far from being inclusive and able and willing to make all the adaptions that it needs. But the York St John's University has shown a real long-term, genuine, deep interest in wanting to kind of work with us to make this progression happen. Um, And particularly want to kind of mention uh, Professor Matthew Reason in that because um, his continued interest in a number of ways in our work, in the company, in looking at how we push forward these developments has been absolutely key um, and has been really helpful in linking us up with lots of different other parts of the university in order to make this happen. So it was about two years, I think, in the in the development of the uh, level four certificate course, um, which was a ongoing dialogue and conversation between Charlie Ward, our academy director, and uh, Matthew Reason at York St. John and other members of the team. And basically looking and developing and adapting the way in which we measure progression and measure success for individual um, students on the course. So, yeah, we're absolutely thrilled. I mean, it is the only course at that level of its kind specifically tailored to the needs of adults with a learning disability. So, uh, and and we've still got lots more to learn. But So we're, we're just coming to the fine. well, we're in the final term of year one. I'm pleased to say that so far things are progressing really, really well. Uh, The students are all um, meeting the expected level of performance that we would would want to see of them at this stage. Um, The team at York St John's are really happy. We think we've got something really innovative and really exciting here. Um, And longer term, we'd really like to look at opportunities to roll that out into other places and spaces. Um, So we are currently working still with York St John's University on something called a knowledge transfer partnership um, where we're seeing if we can put together a proposal that would help us to kind of roll that out and look at opportunities for developing that in other geographical areas. That would be so brilliant and it's really needed. I mean, there are so many companies that are really trying to also break this um, get in and break the mould of what learned disabled people can do. I'm going to give a call out to Access All Areas um, who are doing it down in London. Um, Big up to them and big up to all the companies that are really putting learning disability at the forefront of their um, agenda. And also thank you to York St John's because... Um, we need more universities to do this. We need to get out there more. Mm. Um, it's a sad state. It's a sad state of affairs to have to admit that. Um, but it is needed. And yeah, let's let's help create change in this industry. 
Yeah, and I think, again, uh, I similarly um, all credit to Access All Areas for the fantastic work they've done in this area. Um, there's also Tin Arts and Open Theatre and Prism Arts um, are all, I know, um, all working in slightly different ways on developing these kind of progression and development opportunities. And Mind the Gap has certainly been doing this for, well, 20-odd years and more, Um and and it's 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 a slow process, and I feel that there are kind of stop start moments in this. Um, but I think we just need to keep sharing learning, looking at collaboration opportunities with other organisations, with peer organisations um, working in the same field. And there was something you mentioned about the mainstream, or what is in inverted commas the mainstream. And um, so I want to know what you think are the main uh, differences between the mainstream art sector and the learning disability art sector at the moment. And what would you like to see change? Oh, this is a very complex area. Um, There's definitely lots of interesting and positive things happening. So Mind the Gap has just completed uh, a four four and a bit year project which involved two two linked projects um one called engage and one called it staging change funded by esme fairburn and paul hamlin foundations um very importantly um which enabled us to build these sort of much deeper long-term relationships with a number of venues across england so we worked with lee's playhouse the albany in london we worked with the gulbenkian in uh, canterbury worked with square chapel in halifax we worked with Zed Arts in Manchester. Um, I'm missing one. Northern uh, Stage. Uh, no, thank you. Northern <laughs> Stage in Newcastle. I knew it was somebody really important. <laughs> um, and, and we worked with them over four years looking at kind of really bespoke development opportunities for that were about all about improving inclusion and access for um, people with a learning disability. We looked at that from the perspective of artists and artist development. We looked at it from the perspective of audiences and audience development. We also looked at it around participation. And there was some fantastic learning from that project. And you were deeply involved, so I know that you know this. Um, And some really interesting ideas. We, as a company, we learnt loads. Um, It's definitely influenced um, us in a number of ways. So, for example, we developed, we've we've introduced and are rolling out currently um, access riders across the whole of the staff team, including artists, obviously. Um, And that came out of a discussion around how we understand each other and how people work together and and how we all understand that we all are different and we all have different needs. And actually, um, rather than simply identifying that as being something that's connected with learning disability or autism, actually, we all have different ways of learning and communicating and taking in information. So I think... um, there's definitely some interesting uh, things happening and there's definitely signs of commitment. I think more broadly, one of the things I kind of observe at the moment is we're all rebalancing again after the impacts of the COVID pandemic, which obviously have been huge and deep and widespread across the arts sector as a whole. And I have a bit of concern personally that we are not seizing the opportunity and all the learning that we had actually that the COVID pandemic was awful it was dreadful it you know people with a 
learning disability and autism were amongst the worst affected by the pandemic medically, practically, in terms yeah. of alienation and isolation and, and all of those very, very critical factors. So I'm not underplaying that at all. But I do think that the COVID pandemic also showed us that you can do things differently. Um, certainly for Mind the Gap as a company, it helped us really focus and connect not just with the individuals who are immediately within our network, but also thinking about the learning dis disabled and autistic community more broadly. And the the rollout of our Creative Doodle Book project, which um, is a practical workbook that um, is about stimulating creativity that was specifically designed with and for learning disabled and autistic artists. Um, we distributed and activated over 3,000 copies of that um, book during the pandemic. And I don't think that would have happened if we hadn't all had to rethink how we do things. So I want us to, in terms of that, where the differences are, I want us to not lose that experience and that learning and that knowledge that actually there are, if you think about things in a very lateral way and really think about individual needs, it's very possible to do things differently. And I'm not just talking about online access. I mean, online access was actually very valuable and very important for a lot of people, um, not just people with them, with disabilities, but just that ease of connectivity. Um, Again, I realise that not everybody has access to a computer or a sound um, internet connection. So it's, you know, it, again, a mix is needed. But I think that's what I'm arguing for, that actually let's not just all go back to doing things exactly the same as we did them before. Yeah, I totally agree with you on that. I mean, um, a prime example, the We Shall Not Be Removed um, campaign that um, got set up, which really had a real massive movement of saying like that we're not going to be left out of this conversations we are still here we and uh, we wanted to get our voices heard i was lucky enough to uh do one of the discussions on that but also realizing a lot of the time that learn disabled voices weren't being heard in massive conversations and this is something that has been a real problem. I think we are still catching up with the art sector in general. And it is so important that people are being leaders in this and really talking about the issues that matter to them. Because that's the only way that the mainstream will understand what is going on in people's lives. Let's make it better because if you see yourself on TV and in theatre and on radio, you're not excluded. Mm. And that is so important because I think the pandemic did exclude a lot of people. Yeah, and I think picking up on what you've um, said around uh, voice and presence, that's definitely something that Mind the Gap is trying to respond really directly to. We've made some really significant changes in the way that we support and develop our artists and creating more opportunities for individual work, more opportunities for 
looking at what kind of support ideas need for development, what are the skills, what's the knowledge, what's the experience that's needed for learning disabled artists to get into those places and spaces where actually they do have their voice. Has there been any barriers to that? Well, yes, plenty. Um, (laughs) um, I think, um, I mean, one of the key barriers that still exists is that so many... um, funding and fundraising opportunities are so fundamentally inaccessible to the vast majority of people with a learning disability. And, you know, complex online processes, complex, lengthy, very uh, jargon-filled application processes. I think the wider trusts and foundation sector is really trying to be very proactive in looking at different ways of accepting information from people so not just relying on big long written documents for example they're still underpinned I think by a kind of set of values and a set of assumptions which still are fundamentally very inaccessible so I think there's a there's a real need for change in that and I think we need to keep pushing and keep arguing for change in that because while learning disabled artists are still very interdependent and needing to collaborate with people who have the skills to do those long complicated applications there's always a risk then that people are not actually quite getting not quite getting their point across aren't they because different different communication methods have different strengths and weaknesses so I think that's again that's that is definitely an area where we we need to see change and we need to see not just tinkering around the edges we need to be see fundamental change and really more trust I think that one of the things I would identify in thinking about you know how you get and receive and deal with money is that you've got to trust people that they can make good decisions. Talking about positives around uh, trust and funding of our artists, some of our artists have recently and in the past received DYCP, which is to develop your own creative practice. And I think that fund is really fundamental on our artists getting their voices out there and learning new skills, which is going to progress the industry so much. And all all credit to Arts Council on that one for recognising that actually, not just in the field of learning disability and autism, but across the broader sector, that that this kind of funding support to kind of get an idea up to the um, stage where it can be kind of activated into something that goes out into the public domain. Um, And, yeah, as you say, we've had some... um, some noticeable successes and that's absolutely fantastic yeah. um, and, and hopefully on a positive note that is the starting point to seeing more artist-led artist you know delivered artists really making all of their own decisions around who they collaborate collaborate with how they de- develop their work where it's seen who they're targeting as their audiences and so on thinking about uh, DICP I was wondering what do you think about representation on our screens for anti and theatre for actors uh, with learning disabilities and autism at the moment? I think there's still some some way to go in terms of um, 
representing the full range and depth and breadth of people with a learning disabilities, talents and experiences and knowledge and skills. There has been positive progress. We are definitely, as a mind the gap, we definitely get more inquiries than we ever have done about casting opportunities, broadcast opportunities. We've recently collaborated with a couple of companies, uh, 509 Arts here in Bradford um, and Anamiki, a national touring company, where our artists, uh, Mind the Gap artists, have been commissioned into pieces of their work, which has been absolutely fantastic. And, and just this week, we've had the BBC in doing some audition workshops for um, for a, a presenting uh, role. So there's definitely, you know, things are happening. I see, though, that a lot of that representation is still very stereotypical. And quite often the question we get asked at Mind the Gap is, oh, you know, do you have somebody with Down syndrome with a playing age of 25 to 35 to take part in a medical drama? And it's like, well, why, why are you asking for a specific learning disability like Down syndrome? You know, does that relate to the to the actual character and the part and quite often the answer is no well we just thought it was we just thought it was a thing to do you know so I think the knowledge and understanding around learning disability is still very narrow in those who are commissioning um, particularly in broadcast sector um, maybe slightly less so in in theatre I'm going to put that question back to you Paul because obviously as well as working for us you also work um, at Lee's Playhouse um, maybe say a little bit about that and that role but you're obviously very much working on in in another capacity as well around representation so what where do you think it's at? I think that we need to um, help make sure that people understand more about disabilities and learning disabilities in general it's great and positive that the BBC, that they actually came to the company rather than us having to always travel down to an audition mm. down in London or Manchester. Um, and actually getting the producers and the directors and the casting directors to come actually to the company, it gives them a chance to see a whole range of actors. But my problem I do have is that I get fed up of having to see people with a learning disability having to play the pity character or hero character or having to play up their learning disability. Um, If a person's got a learning disability, they have a learning disability, simple as. Um, The industry is getting better. Uh, I do want to state this because I think it's important, but there is so much that still needs to be done. And I think one of the ways in which we affect change on that is by creating more opportunities for people with a learning disability, not just to work in that, uh, in those kind of, oh, get cast, go in, do a turn, go away again. It is about more exposure and more experience of working alongside people with a learning disability in all sorts of ways, you know, whether that's as, you know, in in terms of, you know, people being in the office, doing different elements of that kind of work, um, people being involved behind the camera, behind the scenes, in production. I think that's where we need to continue to try and affect positive change because the more people have exposure and experience, the more people who go, well, actually, 
it's really no different working with somebody with a learning disability or autism as it is working with anybody else. It just some you sometimes need to think about how you break down information, you need to think about communication, you need to think about how somebody does their best work and takes on um takes on information and takes on learning. But that's just good working practice, in my view. It's not anything to do with specific to learning disability and autism. And I think that, you know, it's it's pushing that and getting more uh, more of that exposure and more of that di- direct experience for more people. That's how we'll affect change. I totally agree. And earlier we said about access riders, and I think that's a really prime example of what access riders actually do. And at Leeds Playhouse, I actually work for artistic planning team on them creating their own access riders. And that was really interesting about how much that they said they helped them to explain to their colleagues what support they needed. So it can't just be a learn, uh, for people with learning disabilities or disabilities in general. It should be across your whole workforce so that they can actually show people what support they need to make sure that they do their best work. And there are templates out there around access riders. And yeah, you don't have to be disabled to ask for help. Mm. I think Unlimited have um, created a, a sort of a, a guidance sheet for access riders. That's really good. Um, and there are you know a number of companies kind of doing it They've, there's also been some really interesting and valuable work around um working with artists of color and and how we work in anti-racist ways and so there's lots of resources around and i think one of the things um i would argue for always is that it's the process itself it's the process of asking those questions of yourself and asking those questions of others that actually makes you think about things in a different way if you just take something off a shelf and you just kind of go oh we're going to tick a box and we're going to kind of do this because you know somebody somebody's told (laughs) us it's a good idea to do it then it's never going to get embedded what you need to do is really live that and really really think about it and really think about the change that you need to make and again I know that's something you've got real direct experience of working as agent for change at Lee's Playhouse as part of the Ramps on the Moon project you're kind of working across the whole team, aren't you? Yeah. Um, my whole point of the Ramps on the Moon project is not just for me to come in and create the change. It's for the whole team to actually create the changes. It's exciting um, being the agent for change at Leeds Playhouse. We've just created uh, a uh, introduction to directing, writing and producing course Um which we had our sharings um, and that was just amazing to work with professional actors but also seeing new talent come through and that meant so much to me because I'm going to say it on on this podcast um, I'm fed up of keep saying that I might be the only learned disabled theatre producer out there in England so I wanted to create these opportunities and that's what Ramps on the Moon has afforded me to do. It also every year goes to a theatre, uh, one of the Ramps on the Moon partners and um, works with that theatre to create a show. 
This year's show is from Sheffield Theatres and it's a much do about nothing. Um, and um, all the time you work, um, the cast are made up of learning, um, disabled and non-disabled characters. Um, it's just a brilliant uh, opportunity to see work that's being done. And I think that sort of um, is our experience as well, that you need to think about the whole process, not just who you are casting. You need to think about the choice of material that you make. You need to think about how that material is developed and adapted for um, audiences. You need to think about how that's going to... Um, how 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 you create the conditions for every performer to do their best work, but also how that's going to be communicated and and um, understood and experienced by the audience. So and I and I think you know it is a real challenge, and I think you know there's again there's no magic uh, set of ingredients that you can just readily put together and everything will be perfect. I think you have to accept with developmental work that's about trying to affect positive social change, you you really do have to think about every element of your process and whether you are doing it in the most inclusive and accessible way. And and it's it's almost that I think that's the that that's really the key to change is about that 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 the kind of whole process and a whole kind of system change rather than just going oh well we'll tinker around the edges of this bit you know or we'll you know we'll 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 cast a a learning disabled person in this bit part character yeah. and then we'll go we'll tick a box and go oh yes we've done our bit for learning disability disability inclusion and it's well no you haven't actually all you've done is reinforce negative stereotypes so let's have a look at this again and let's take it you know let's let's take it apart and put that back together again and i i think those conversations are happening i would like to see them ha- ha- be happening more frequently i'd like to see them happening in more places um and th- there to be more accountability, I think, around around those processes and things. I still feel um, that learning disability and autism still feels quite marginal, to, and that people can still. And say so this is a bit of a broad generalisation, but I think they, there's still areas where certain practice and certain processes are still kind of oh well they're okay because it's only that it's very much on the margins whereas if it was in another area of disability or another area of um where you're you're looking to involve and take positive action to include people i think there are things which wouldn't be acceptable in other areas that are still acceptable in the field of learning disability and autism so i still think there's quite a long distance to travel um Let's go on from that about our artist and the amazing work that has been created by them, by uh, people like Daniel Foltz, who created Bradford A Hidden History and is just about to go on his DYCP of a show called In Neva Camp. Um, we've got Alan Clay, who done his own project, Skip Rap. We have... Joanne Haynes, who has done Colourful and was part of the the first uh, in 2018, I think it was, the Beyond Festival. These are people that have so much skill and so much talent and mind the gap 
I personally think has had a major impact in their careers, but it also shows the talent that we have. My final question on all this is Bradford's now got City of Culture and I want to know what's Mind the Gap going to be doing for that and where can people start seeing the Mind the Gap work? So, yeah, so it's it's very exciting to be um, doing this podcast uh, on the back of the fantastic news that uh, Bradford is City of Culture 2025. Um, and it has been big implications for us. Um, so we are kind of just looking forward to 2025 first and then coming back to the here and now. Um so we've got kind of two linked ambitions around uh, Bradford 2025. One is to develop um, a new piece of outdoor theatre performance that's really created with and of and for people, the people of Bradford. So we're looking at connecting with other artists and other organisations and groups and individuals across the whole of the community to create a new large-scale piece of work is the current uh, plan um, because that's where it's um, we, we've had great success with projects like Zara in the recent past and then we're also developing an international element to uh, the programme where we are um, continuing our developing our connections with our Crossing the Line international network uh, which involves around six or seven different uh, companies uh, mostly from Europe um, and we've had long-term relationships with a number of companies like the Wazo Mouche in France, Moms Tiarten in Sweden, Theatre Babel in the Netherlands, the fantastic Blue Teapot in Ireland, and a um, really interesting company called Theatre 21 in Poland. Uh, so we're, we're currently working to develop an, an international festival programme, building on the success of um, the work that we did in 2027, 2017 sorry, on the Crossing and Line Festival and the work that we've done more recently through um, Creative Europe and Erasmus-funded projects. So we're, we're kind of working on the very local and on the international scale, that, and we're looking at how we can connect those and bring those together. So that's now going to be a really kind of key focus for our work. And at the moment, we've just launched our um, new festival touring piece, Leave the Light On For Me, which um, explores the theme of climate change um, and what we do about it um, from the perspective of uh, people with a learning disability and autism. That's about to go, it's just launched in Bradford and we're about to go on a national tour. Check our website for details. Um, we're going to various places. We're down to the Unlimited Festival in September and in between times we're um, in London and Newcastle and um, Homefirth and Deershed Festival um, in North Yorkshire. So we're going to quite a few kind of different spaces. Oh, and um, Unity uh, Festival in Cardiff um, in a couple of weeks. So it's great to be out on the road again with a piece of work. It's a bit of a sort of starting, a jumping off point, really, for thinking about how we are a sustainable and environmentally conscious producing and touring company. So I think we've got a really exciting kind of few years ahead of us, as, as indeed the years behind us have been very exciting. But it feels like um, a really kind of, it's another one of those new chapters, I think, in, in the company. Obviously, we're all learning to live 
with the impacts post-pandemic. It's still having very widespread impacts on the art sector and performing arts sector and individuals and so forth. So I think we've still got lots to take on board to ensure that we do things in the way that the best way that we can but yeah it feels like we've got another kind of night a nice kind of focus in the form of Bradford 2025 just to help us kind of shape and think about some of those things yeah that definitely does sound exciting and I can't wait to see what we're doing next and thank you Julia for being the first guest on the Mind the Gap and Disability Arts Online podcast thank you very much Paul it's been an absolute pleasure and great fun to have a chat with you A big thank you to Julia Skelton and Paul Whittleshaw from Mind the Gap. Please join us next month when Senior Editor of Disability Arts Online, Colin Hambrook, chats with Emma and a lived experience partner of the Trussell Trust on food poverty and its impact on the disability community.